This lesson is part two, The Last Night with Jesus. And we covered about half of what we wanted to cover in uh, last week's lesson. And you will see those. Uh, the font in those is, if you're watching with us live, the font in that is, has been uh, grayed out. So we've got really the first four points, and we went basically through chapter 14. But there are a couple of things that we want to look at as we look at chapter 14. But in order to set the stage, and, and I'm just going to briefly uh, point out a couple of passages and, and say something. These men and this world is unaware, really, of the magnitude of what is going to happen over the next few hours as Jesus will go to trial, as he will be crucified, and as he will be buried. And then by the glory and the power of God, he will be resurrected. The the single most important thing that's ever happened in the history of mankind. But what he's trying to do is to prepare them. And I just want to point out a couple of verses out of chapter 14. And then I think Ray has a couple that he wanted to point out. Mine is in verse 19, and he's, he's, he's trying to prepare them. He said, yet a little while, and the world will behold me no more. Now, you and I know, and he knows, that it will be because of his crucifixion. But he said, but you behold me because I live, and you shall live also. And then he says, in that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. I think the in that day that the Lord is pointing out here in in John chapter 14 is really twofold. I think it is Pentecost because whenever we see the Holy Spirit poured out upon the apostles, we realize and we know that Jesus is behind this. And we certainly know that when in A.D. 70, uh, and Pentecost was A.D. 33, but in A.D. 70 when Titus, the army of Titus came, and destroyed Jerusalem, the Lord said that will be the sign that the Son of Man is in heaven. And so he's saying, I know it's going to be confusing. I know that you're going to, to feel a great loss, and I know that you're going to go through a lot of confusion, but there are going to be things that will happen that will bolster your faith, and you will know of a certainty that Truly, I do live, and I am with the Father, and I'm still with you, and you will still be with me. And you remember he said there in chapter 14, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm making mansions for you in my Father's house. And so all of this really, isn't it, raised just to bolster their faith and to get them through this trying time that they're going to go through. You know, actually, you're right, and I think that these lessons that he's giving them right now, are probably the most important lessons that they had received through all those three years of training and teaching. And you talk about a crash course, a crash course in the plan of salvation, a crash course in prophecy, a crash course in, you know, manning up and facing your faith. And there was just so many things that, that was going on here. And I have often found, especially in my, my world that I live in, that when I study John 13 to the end of that book, I really learn a lot about how to face my life. I recently did a lesson where I talked about, you know, three three difficult days. The Lord said that if you tear this temple down in three days, I'll raise it up. Well, Friday was a tough day for Jesus. 
Saturday was a tough day for the apostles because they they were second guessing and worried. But Sunday was a great day, as we're going to see. But what happens now? Of course, you know we're in we're in the upper room where the Passover had been served, and I'm I'm the first one to admit that there's some controversy over the chronology of everything that went on, when it happened, and where they were, and, uh, when every, every passage was said. But I will say this to you: in the latter part of chapter 14, after the discussion of him being the way, the truth, and the life, and so forth, he said, "I will no longer talk much with you." For the ruler of this world is coming. Now, he meant the emissaries and the the peons of, of Satan. Really, that's all sinners are that live for the devil. They're just his slaves. But yeah. he said, they're coming. But he's got nothing in me. Meaning, so far, nothing's happened. And that's the way it was going to be when he died. The devil has nothing. I wish I could say he never had anything in me. me too. But I can't say it. <laughs> I can't say it. But, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Then he said, Arise, let us go from here. Well, we know that when we get to chapter 18, the, the Bible tells us when Jesus had spoken these words, and I think that's between cha uh, chapter 15, 16, and 17, he went out with the disciples over the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. So there's always been a question, where was he during the, the statements? Some have tried to make this work by saying, well, when he said, arise, let us go from here. I heard one fellow said, now, these must have been country people because usually you have to tell them three times to go before they go. So that was the first time. <laughs> but but I, I think that what we see is there is there is a they're moving. And I think you can see something about the journey from the upper room to the Brook Kidron just by some of the things that were being said. And when I look at chapter 15, verse 1, where Jesus said, I am the true vine. Well, we know that if you passed by the temple, up above the temple, um, the, the gate into the temple itself, there was this ornate, huge, a huge, beautiful golden vine. And it was very artistically worked. It was just gorgeous. And when people who were philanthropists had a little extra money, they'd go have a gold leaf made or something and bring it and donate it to the to the artwork. But the, the purpose of that vine was to, mostly for the Jews, was to symbolize uh, them being God's people, them being God's vine, as it were. And, you know, and that, that is so. I mean, there, there, there are texts that uh, point out that the Lord had uh, chosen them to be a vine. But I want to read you a passage before we go any further than this in Psalms 80. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts, and look down from heaven and see, and visit this vine, the vineyard which your right hand has planted, and the branch that you made strong for yourself. It burned with fire, it is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man who you made strong for yourself. He said, then we will not turn back from you. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. Well, I think it's pretty clear in Psalms 80 that, yes, he does speak at first of the vine, but then he speaks of the strong man. 
the man that is truly the strong man. And I think that's what Jesus used at this moment, uh, whether they had seen the vine coming in or they seen the vine as they were leaving out. And, you know, that time period, as we well know right now, of the Passover, it, it always landed, well, usually between March the 21st and April the 25th. And it usually uh, happened after one of the uh, terrestrial events called the first full moon after the vernal equinox, which happens every year, you know, somewhere in that time period. Well, full moon, think of that. Now, there have been nights in the last week or so that uh, I went out one night and you could see a shadow on the ground. Yeah. The moon was so bright and beautiful, you know. And I can only visualize in my mind after all the drama that happened at the table, Judas and the disciples wondering, you know, is it me? And then uh, Peter being told, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to betray me. And, and if you recall, as we read that back in, uh, in, in our text, and I think that started probably back in uh, chapter 13, the very latter part. And, and I, I made something out of that last time we talked, but, do you remember when Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me? Did you notice that? But you shall follow me afterward. Right. I, I said this, and I still believe this. If you'd have said that to me, yes, I would have I would have been dreading falling away from him. I would have been dreading not being able to go with him. But I'd also been believing I can, get, I will be with him. No matter what happens when this is over, I'm going to be with him. And I really think every Christian should have that kind of assurance that when my heart is where it ought to be and I connect myself, as we see in John 15 to the vine, which now he said, I am the true vine and I live my life depending upon him for my, my source of strength, God working in me through Christ and through the word that yes, I'm probably going to have downtime, but I can be with him. There should be no doubt about that, but there should be a, enough of an understanding that a man can fall from grace that we don't run around here tempting uh, our spiritual relationship by saying, well, once saved, we're always saved. We can't say that. No. We've got to grasp the fact that we can walk away from this because John 15 says you can. I'll let you talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, John 15 uh, points out the fact that and, and what Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to keep this connection. Now, physically, they are going to be disconnected. And this is this creates a great problem for the apostles because they've been three and a half years with him, and they they have a lot of illusions about the kingdom. You know what it's going to be. Even in uh, the first chapter of Acts, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel this time? They're still looking for a physical kingdom there in Jerusalem, like David had, and and you know there's going to be this great disconnect. But the connection, and I think the connection that Jesus is trying to, and what he's trying to do, he's trying to, to prepare them for this, this break that they will have, the continuity uh, that they have in this life, and understand just because I don't see you physically doesn't mean I'm not there. And just because I leave you physically does not mean that I leave you. Because I am the vine, and he he says, uh, you are the branches. Now, he, he has said that before, but here's the point of saying that. And this comes down to you and I today. If we are part of the vine of Christ, we can know that because we bear fruit. Listen to what he said. 
uh, in verse 2 of chapter 15. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bring forth more fruit. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you and the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide uh, in the vine or abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, verse 5 says, and I in him, the same, the same will bring forth much fruit for without me you can do nothing. And he's saying, not only are we going to be connected but we're going to be connected in a very, very special way now that uh, heretofore has not been the case because you're going to be working through me. You're, you're going to be producing the fruit. And, you know, when you take a vine, uh, if you sever that vine, uh, it's not going to bear fruit. I mean, it, it is completely dead. And who does the severing? It's not the Lord. It's you and I. When we quit producing fruit, we have severed that vine or our connection to that vine. And he says, you you just can't do that. First 11 verses of chapter 15 talk about our relationship to Jesus. And then when we get down to verses 12 through 17, he's going to talk about, but you have a relationship to one another. And uh, this is is the commandment, he says in verse 12, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, he's going to really show a a lesson in that uh, or has shown a lesson in that in the washing of their feet. But then when we get down to uh, verse 18 through 27, We also have a relationship to the world. We cannot get out of the world. We have to live here, but we have to be different. He said in verse 19 of chapter 15, if you were of the world, the world would have loved his own. You know, we're under fire right now, right, in our country. Our thoughts, our ideology, our principles, our morals, all of those things are under fire from a, a almost a vast majority now of the people. And it is just the mind of the world. It's the heart of the world. He said, if, if, the, if uh, the world uh, would love its own, then uh, it's not going to love you because we don't go along with abortion. We don't go along with same-sex marriage. We don't go along with homosexual. We don't go along with drunkenness. There's a lot of things that we don't go along with, and there's a lot of people that are mad at us because of that. But it just has to be that way, doesn't it? It does. And one thing that I think we need to say to the brethren, I'm talking about people really trying to follow the Bible. The Lord had said, If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Now watch. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Now we're talking about prejudice a lot right now in this country. And um, there's a lot of racial divide going on. But I'm going to tell you something. I think one of the biggest elements of prejudice that we're seeing now is toward Christianity. And for what reason? I'm trying to understand what the reason is. And it's simply because if we teach the Bible, and by the way, we kind of went over this, but, you know, if, if, if you're going to be a Christian and you're going to bear fruit, not only does the Lord uh, burn those that have fallen from the vine, but he prunes the ones that are there. 
I can't help but think that might be a bit painful on occasion, you know, because there's discipline involved, training. Uh, we're, we're sometimes rebuked, exhorted. And we're seeing more and more people today, they want no criticism whatsoever, especially if it is constructive, truthful criticism. And you're, you're realizing that people have changed in the way that they see these things. They have their viewpoint, and that viewpoint is what they're going to promote. And if you don't think like they do, then you must not love them. They can't understand a group of people that can say, I do love you. I can't agree with you. But if I do agree with you, that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm someone that's just totally on your side on everything. If I disagree with you, it doesn't mean I don't love you. I don't want to help you. But the truth is what uh, separates, and the truth is what sets free. So he said that there would be a great rejection coming, and he made this point, and, and this kind of brings in chapter 16, because he said there, there needs to be another comforter coming. Yeah. And more and more, I realize that we have done a disservice in one sense of the word to the gospel. Somebody says, well, doesn't the Bible say Christ is preeminent? He is. But the preeminent Christ also sent the Holy Spirit. And many, many folks, they, they've turned him into a little magic show. And they, they don't realize that what the Holy Spirit came to do was deliver truth, both to the believer and to the unbeliever. And the goal of that truth and the, the work of that Christ was to get all of us into a relationship with the Father right. in heaven. And, and, I, and I think I see people that some people camp on the Father picture, some people camp on the Christ picture, some people camp on the Holy Spirit picture. They've got to put that together if they want to have the whole gospel and the whole relationship. Yes, because, uh, you know, they are one. They they are all in unison. And, you know, if uh, if we've got any young preachers listening, wherever you might be, there is a great sermon that can be brought out from uh, John chapter 16, uh, beginning at verse 19 and going on through the end of the chapter. In fact, going on into uh, chapter 16 a little bit if you want to. There are three reasons why people hate us that, that we get out of this context right here. Number one, we're different. We believe different. Number two is our association. We don't associate with, and you know, we may work with these people. Uh, we may live by these people and be friendly neighbors to them. But uh, true association, we don't run with in the same group that a lot of these do. So number one, we're different. We don't associate with those things. And number three is our conviction our conviction that these things are right our our faith our drive that we have and and this just absolutely scalds those people they don't want us to have that kind of conviction they want us to be like so much of the world running around with like a chicken with his head cut off you know i don't know what's going to happen here or what's going to happen here well, the true Christian really doesn't worry about a lot of things that uh, worldly people do because I have a conviction, and you pointed it out earlier. Every Christian, like these apostles, and this is what the Lord's trying to tell them, there's things happening you're not going to completely understand. Don't get worried about this. It's eventually all going to work out. And you know, that's the, that's the conviction that we have to have. But there, those are three reasons why we're hated today. We're different. We associate with, uh, you know, 
ideas and, and morality and ideology that is different than the world. And we have a conviction about what we believe and what we're going to do and what the final outcome is going to be. You know, Lloyd, the, the world, what, what amazes me right now about the philosophical pictures of the world, first of all, they make no sense and there's no agreement. But it's almost like many people have the idea that sin does not exist. Righteousness, whatever is righteous, is still up in the air in definition. And judgment is not, um, you know, cut and dry. In other words, you can you can be the most immoral, uh, strange, uh, murdering person, and still be a good person going to heaven. And you know, when I read what he said the Spirit would do, that he would convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Well, every one of those thoughts indicate that there was a standard that had been established and would not change. Now, obviously, the Lord was speaking to the apostles, and he said, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He, do, he doesn't speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Now, notice, the purpose was, he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Now, the Holy Spirit was not a loose cannon. He was not a loose cannon. He had one job, and that was to prove the truth and glorify the Christ. Now, I see a lot of loose cannons running around. And you and I, I know we're working hard not to be such as that. Well, that's why we're using Bible verses and uh, maintaining context as we as we study. But again, when we connect to the to the environment around us, we realize that there's a lot of reasons for sorrow in the world that we live in today. Just like these people felt like, well, it seemed like the light was going out. What, what are you saying? Christ, what are you, a little while, you, you'll not see me. A little while, you will see me. And I'm going to go to the Father. And they're, they're saying, well, what's he mean by that? What's he mean by that? And do you remember the Lord said there in chapter 16, verse 19, well, here you are inquiring among yourselves. And he said, but I tell you, you will weep. You will lament. The world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful. But your sorrow will be turned to joy. And he gave the analogy of a woman in labor. And she's in great pain. But then when the, the result comes and the baby is born, there's joy that a human being has been born in the world. And I, sometimes I look at that verse, brother, and I'll tell you what I think. This world is trying to redefine a human being. Yeah. They want the human being only to be an animal. Therefore, you can kill it in the womb. Only to be an animal. Therefore, you can change its sex whenever you want to. Only to be an animal. In other words, don't worry about its soul. Don't worry about eternity. But when the Lord speaks of a human being, he speaks in the context of a father who gave it life and a soul and wants it back. And that's when the, the, the time of sorrow will be turned to absolute joy, when we finally see the father. And we will be there. And he said, look, you've got sorrow. I will see you again. Your heart will rejoice and your joy. No one will take you. Now watch this. In that day, you will ask me nothing. <laughs> Verse 23. Yeah. Yeah. Because you will I know. Said, well, I got, yeah. And I've often said, well, I got a lot of questions when I see the Lord. And, and, and then you read this verse. In that day, you'll ask me nothing. Yeah. Because, nothing. you know, and I've thought about it oftentimes, Ray, 
we uh, we do, especially uh, preachers do. You have so many questions because there are so many connections, and you see passages that uh, uh, turn out to be prophecies, but they haven't really been identified as that. And uh, you see, all you know, you begin to connect all these dots, and I just think sometimes, you know. Man, I just want to sit and just ask, you know, what was this? What was this? And tell me more about this. But I think when we face-to-face see God, what was it that Paul said? I will be known. I will know as as fully as I am. I will know as fully as I am known. And I think that First Corinthians 13. Right. Yeah. I think that that verse is telling us when we come face-to-face with the Father, we're going to realize, and we're going to know so much. And yeah, the Lord can say, uh, you know, that uh, you're not going to have any questions whenever all of that, because everything is going to be clear. I can't help but but bring up the uh, uh, the knitting that the old lady was doing in Oklahoma one time, and I was sitting on the backside, and she was knitting, you know, and it just looked, she said, "What do you see right here?" Because I was talking about I don't understand all this, you know, how this happened, why this happens, and everything. And I use this with families, you know, that are suffering over a loss where there's really no answer. And uh, I, she said, what do you see? And I said, I see a mess, you know, strings laying out everywhere. And it's just a mess. Well, she turned it around. It was a beautiful nature scene that she had, oh, she yeah. had made. And, and she said, this is how God sees it. What you're seeing on the backside is what you see now. I think that this verse and and 1 Corinthians 13 both will eventually God is going to turn everything in and we're going to say, oh, now I see. Now I understand, you know. But it is, you brought up a word a while ago that is used here in verse 14. Uh, he will glorify me. Now, this is going to be a reoccurring theme, and we're halfway through mm-hmm. the program already. This is a reoccurring theme in chapter 17 when we get into this prayer because he's going to use the word glory twice in verse 1. He's going to use the word glory in verse 4. In verse 5, he will use it again twice. But then uh, he'll use uh, glorified in verse 10. And uh, But in the midst of all of that, also there is another reoccurring word, and that is my word the word of God, the word of truth. And all of this is is going to work together in order to glorify God. Let's get into chapter 17 because this is the most special prayer, Lord's Prayer, that there is in the Bible, isn't it? It is, and it this is a glorious prayer. I think that, that word glorify and glorious is, is so strong in this text. And again, I want to I want to try to put us in context with this. And was the Lord at, in the Passover room, or were they journeying out? Um, personally, in my mind, I like to think that they had already left that room and were easing out of the the temple and going up on the east side of that temple. It was moonlit. The Brook of Kidron. By the way, that Brook of Kidron had been called the Brook of Kidron all the way back to the days of David. Yeah. So it was an ancient little stream, which I found incredible. But and they will eventually cross that stream and go to the Garden of Gethsemane. But wouldn't that have been an awesome picture if that's the way it was, if he had stopped them? And it was, let's say, I'm just, I'm using imagination, so please just ride with me on this. But, and it was a beautiful moonlit night. And he looks up 
And I don't know about you, but I've often looked up at the stars and the moon. I can't look at the sun and do this, but when I look at the stars and the moon and, and my mind thinks, look what the Lord can do yeah. with a few rocks and a dark night. And and he lifts the, his eyes up. Now, most of the time we pray, we took our heads down. Yeah. And I would love to see a group of people pray, holding their hands up and looking up like, dear God, you see us and we see you. But anyway, and he said, Father, Father. Now, we're, we're not, we're not, right now, we're Father. The hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And one of the great principles that you're going to pick up right here is that any time God glorifies Jesus or near you, the end result is a glorification of himself. And we should see that that is one of the great, great ambitions that we ought to have in our lives is to be able to look back and say, Father, I have glorified you, and I did everything I could. You gave me glory. You gave, and I didn't deserve it, and I, I wasn't what your son was. But every time that I understood what you had done in this glorification process, I realized you're the one to be glorified. Yep. Jesus knew what it was like to receive authority. He knew, he knew by this that he could give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Now, that I think that verse is very important. Some people say, well, see, he just turned, he just arbitrarily decided, God did, who to be. No, I think the predestination was, if you go back to Romans 8, and we could really get into the to a college discourse on this kind of thing if you wanted to, but in Romans 8, Paul said, look, he predestined these people to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, I'm going to tell you who it is that will be given to Christ. It'd be those that are trying to follow Christ. That's right. And, and if you're not going to follow Christ, forget this business about being given to him. You and, see, and the, and the predestination is not the person. It is the heart. It is the method. It is the, it is the, 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 what they do. In fact, it, it's verse four. If you would, it's what they become. Yes, yeah. Yes. It, it's here's what Jesus said. And Ray, I think that you and I, this needs to be a verse that we need to live by. And I often think about this verse, and uh, and I, I hope that I am accomplishing this in my life because Jesus said, and now I'm like you. I think they stopped on the little bridge, and, and, and the moon is shining on the brook there and, and <laughs> yeah. glistening off the water, and, and there's just so much, uh, so much in the air right there as he's looking up. And, and Jesus said, I have glorified you on the earth. Am I doing that for the Lord? I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Am I doing that? Uh, and, and he said, oh, now, Father, glorify me. Why? Because I did what you told me to do. And the final glory that you and I are going to have is not the kind of glory that, that mankind gets where you get an Emmy Award or something like that. Uh, you get an eternity with God throughout all the ages. You get to live in that mansion he talked about in chapter 14. That's the glory that we will share with his son, with his spirit, and with God Almighty himself. But I have to glorify him upon the earth. I need to think about that every morning whenever I get up. And, you know, sometimes maybe when we come home in, at night, and the last thing that we do a lot of times before we go to bed, you know, is we will 
We'll, we'll clean up. We'll wash our hands, wash our face, brush our teeth. But there's a mirror there. Look in that mirror. Did you glorify God on the earth today? Did you finish or are you engaged in finishing the work that he gave you to do? And if we can get to that point in our life, then we are absolutely glorifying him, aren't we? Yeah, Lloyd, that word finished, of course, you remember he said it is finished just before he died. And it's from a word teleos in the Greek. Now, that word is a is a very, uh, oh, me, it's a many-faceted word. And it carries with it the idea of completing something, paying the full price. And, and I, I, one thing I like to say is you're finishing strong. That's something I think you and I need to think about. I know older preachers that didn't finish strong. They, they'd spent all their lifetime, and then they just kind of said, well, you know, I'm going to retire now. And somebody says, well, don't you dare say anything to me. Let me tell you something. In the Bible, the older heads that had trained and studied and were experienced were absolutely essential in the work of the church. And I believe for every preacher that loves the Lord, we don't reach a point where we just said, okay, I'm done. Now I'm going to sit down and, you know, I'm going to go fishing. No, I think we finish the work. We finish with all the strength we have. We finish in power. Finish because we know that this work is the most glorious work that anyone could have on this planet. And I think there should be a motivation in the hearts and minds of every older Christian. Nope, I'm not going to fade away, people. I'm going to finish strong. Sometimes I will jokingly tell folks, I'm going to slide sideways through St. Peter's gate. That's how I'm going. <laughs> and, you know, Paul said that, that uh, he'd finished his course. Uh, he, he had faced the race. He had done exactly what he wanted to do. And uh, I've got to give you some credit because, since I've teamed up with you and since we've started doing this, and by the way, I don't know that we said anything about it last week. Last week was our 52nd lesson. So we were one year into this last last uh, Tuesday night. And I, I just thank God for you because over the last year, I have put more into study, I think, than I ever have in my life. And so, yeah, I, you know, we're trying to finish strong. And I hope that I can maintain that, that same type of, of feeling and desire and drive to com continue to do that until the Lord takes me away, you know. But he, well, he Lord, go ahead. Let me, let me say this. Um, as a gospel preacher, we're, we're, like, we're like sharpened tools. We have sharpened and sharpened and sharpened for many years. And we need to use that strength, that knowledge, and we need to use it and share it with as many people as we can. You've heard iron sharpens iron. Well, that goes two ways. Yeah. You can sharpen people for wrong things, but we're trying to sharpen people for good things. And you say 52 lessons. Well, all I can say is time flies when you're having a good time. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It does. I, I hadn't even thought about it, but uh, I was looking at the uh, podcast whenever I, when I loaded the last one. It said 52 episodes, and so uh, it dawned on me. I said, man, that, that is a whole year. You know, there is a, uh, and remember now, all of John 17 is the Lord 
and wherever they are at, the disciples are just standing by, they're watching, and they're listening. And he, sa he says in verse 20, he says, I'm not only praying for these guys, but for all of them that will believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. There is a that is jam packed with information there. Number one, the only way that we can be unified, the only way that we can be one, is through the Word of Christ, through the Word of God. That is the only way. But when we are unified around the Word of God, and whenever we act as a unit, now remember, we we talked about back in uh, chapter 15 that there were three reasons why the world hated us because we're different. We don't associate like they do, and we are convicted. But when God's people are united around the Word of God, then the world will believe in Christ. The world will believe in God. But when we're divided, that's not a possibility because we... We we break this glory and and the you know he, he uses this word so much in this one chapter here to be glorified or to, or to bring this glory but he uses the word word uh, let me see he's got one there in verse six oh. he's got one in verse eight he's got uh, and then he says one and one in uh, verse eleven and then in twenty one but he's back to the word in verse fourteen he's back to the word in verse seventeen where he says sanctify them through thy word uh, through thy truth thy word is truth and uh, you know and then he then he talks about ones again if you pick up verse twenty two the glory which you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect, one in us, that the world may know that thou hast sent me. That's the only way that we're going to unify and gain the world, is that we rally and that we unify around the word of God. Right? I might add, I might add a thought. I'm going to ask a thought question. Would you ever think to say that the Father represented denominational group of the Godhead and the Son represented another denominational group and the Holy Spirit. And and you know we cannot even say that. There was no division. Their right. oneness was perfect and complete. But yet we justify that among us. And it's not that I hate people in different faiths or religious groups than me. But I actually believe that's not the work of the Bible or the work of God. I think that's the that confusion and division has always been the work of the one that deludes and deceives. So my fear has always been not so much that, well, you're against me, because that sounds like a lot of people in the United States today, if you don't think like I do, then I hate you. But what my fear is that people deluded, and, you know, if you read Second Thessalonians 2, the Lord will allow this. And the first thing that we have to do after we become Christians is recognize the oneness of God and then seek to implement that same oneness in our personal life, our relationship with the Lord, and a relationship with others. Now, the enemy of that oneness is a misunderstanding of the word that you've been talking about, yeah. the logos, the word itself. And I, I know the Lord does not amen 
divisive words. He wants unity words, words based on truth. And in the end, when you look at this, he said, look, I've declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Well, I know people, they'll say, well, I love you, Ray. I don't agree with you, but I love you. And then I will come back and I'll say, well, the Lord said we're supposed to love each other. But he also said, if you love me, talking about Christ, keep my commandments. Yeah. And I know people that will not keep the commandments of the Lord, even to the just simple things like baptism and things like that. They just won't do it. And uh, they, they think I'm being harsh and hard because I keep bringing them back to those verses. And I had a fellow once say, don't you have any other verses you can talk about? I say, I don't have any other you need right now. <laughs> this is the one you need right now, yeah. you know, and, and I can't run from that at this point. But but it's a very difficult thing in this world that we're living in to get people to see this. It's a very difficult world right now to live in, and, and it is the most divisive that I have seen the world in a long time. And, uh, you know, whenever when all we can do is talk about, you know, the differences that we have, but the problem is, is that we have not rallied around the word. We have not unified inside of that word. And when we do that, you know, he said, uh, remember in First uh, John, he said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. That's the only way that fellowship can take place is us walking in that light. Now, what is that? Well, it's following that word. And he said, you know, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you will follow this word. Yeah. Well, as as we finish now in chapter 17, now we move into, well, that verse 1 where it says, when Jesus had finished these words, he went with his disciples over the brook Kidron. So very quickly, he's out of the upper room, traveled out of the the, the uh, city of Jerusalem went up and moved over to the brook. And that's about a mile, mile and a half walk to get there. And, uh, you know, there was a garden there. And that garden, oh, we've seen all the artist pictures of that thing. It looked like a pretty place. But uh, more than likely, that garden was surrounded by some caves and had places where people could get in out of the cool night air and that kind of thing. But Judas knew the place. And Jesus often went there when he was in Jerusalem. And Judas now brings the troops and the officers, and they all come out. And, and I want to say this, right? You know, in Mark 14, when the Lord was in the garden, it describes what went on there. And this verse just kind of runs through it, you know. But he had prayed to the Father. He said, Father, I know that you can do all things, all things. And basically, he was telling God, he said, I really don't want to do this. But whatever your will is, we'll do it. And, you know, after all the agonizing and all the, the tears and all the, the intense agony of the body and the prayer, and even though the angels ministered to him, here comes the crowd. Here comes the, the clubs. Here comes the people that are going to brutalize him that night and then the next day crucify him or the next when sunup comes and on into the afternoon. Right. And, and I've often asked people, I said, you know, in spite of all this praying that he did, he still had to face this. I said, do you think we should receive a better deal than Jesus did, even though he died for us? And you'd be amazed how many people think that being a Christian means, well, it's just all going to be hunky-dory. I'm supposed to have rainbows and 
you know, uh, beautiful flowers every day. But you and I both know that when we were talking about that glorification process, that the Bible speaks of the fact that we would suffer. First Peter 4 talks about it should not be a strange thing to us, that if we do suffer for the cause of Christ, we will be glorified with him. We may go through days of shame and pain and, and maybe be ostracized and maligned and lied upon and maybe even even brutalized like he was by leaders, by, by political leaders and mobs and crowds. Now, we used to say that, and everybody thought, well, you just got a great imagination. But I believe more and more brethren see possibilities in these kinds of things now Yeah, because of, of the crazy mindset that people have. But well, I guess what I'm wanting to show, that in spite of the kangaroo courts, in spite of the, 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 the denials and the betrayals, and really, let's head to chapter 19. How much time we got, really? Uh, we got uh, about 10 minutes now. Okay. We, we see in the midst of all of this, all of this, the Lord now, in, in a sense, he's locked in on it. I mean, totally locked in. He knows all these events. There's one passage that said the Lord knew everything that was going to happen to him. Think about that, Lloyd. He knew it all. He knew all things that would happen to him. And he said, in his mind, he, he said to the ahead. Father, he said, you know, uh, Take this cup from me if it's possible. But in the same breath, he said, but for this reason, I came. He knew what was happening. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what he was going to go through. You know, as you were talking there a while ago, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'll let you have it right back in just a second. Sure, yeah. But the most precious metal that we have that we see in our world today is gold. But it has to be tried with fire to get all the impurities out of it. Its greatest glory, its greatest purity is only accomplished when all of the impurities, when all of the, the dross is burnt away from that. And in reality, that's the way we are. We're going to have to go through the, this this process of, of bad things happening, you know. Uh, it, it's it's not comfortable. It's not uh, it's not a bed of roses, as you pointed out. And the Lord went through that. Should I be any different than that? You know, I mean, I'm gonna have to stand my ground as well. Well, one of the one of the things that I think about too is that life is short at best, and and I know that no matter what comes, there was always this little passage where it says it came to pass. And I remember reading about this little old lady one time said, that's my favorite verse. And someone said, how could that be? She said, well, it came to pass. She said, if he'd come to stay, I couldn't have stood him. (laughs) (laughs) I I had never seen that before. But, but what I'm wanting to say is no matter what we go through in our lives, it's, it's a short time. And I, even in the midst of all of this, the Lord is going to go through some terrible things. And the only blessing that's going to be in all that, it won't take long for this to finish its 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 motion. But one thing I did want to say in John 18, I, I want to read this to you because it really states, I think, what his, his major thoughts were in those last hours. And Pilate was talking to him. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus took time now to really try to help this man. Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate, well, my Jew, your own nation, chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. A lot of churches need to learn that. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate said again, are you a king then? Jesus said, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. For this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. And everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate did what our world is doing right now. What is truth? What is truth? Right. And then, I find no fault in him, but he turned him over to him. But what is truth? This, Jesus just said, I'm witnessing it. He had said, I'm the truth, the life, and so forth. But he said, I came because of truth. Right. Now, this is what bothers me. Have you noticed in our culture that truth seems to have been slain in the streets? And I don't mean Bible truth. I I mean all truth. It's just like uh, big business media lies. Politicians lie. People that vote for politicians won't tell you the truth why they do some of the things they do. Even even many people in churches are teaching things that are not true. Yeah. It's just like Satan has amassed all of his forces, and it's like the book of Revelation chapter 20. He was set loose reason to deceive the nations. Deception, deception, deception. And the only way I know to defeat the deception is not going to take a college course you know, in, in um, CSI techniques, but to open up your Bible and start reading it. You know, he said, he, you're reading right now out of chapter 18. All you got to do is go back one chapter. Pilate said, what is truth? Well, John seventeen seventeen said, sanctify them, set them apart, set them in a special place with your truth. Thy word is truth. There is. is, there is the truth. Uh, and I, I know that, that that's not what the world wants to hear. That's our conviction. That's the part that they hate. You know, they say, well, what is the truth? What is justice? It's God's word. And, and you will find everything that you're looking for. But now Pilate was smart enough to say then in verse 38, I find no crime in him. And even in chapter uh, 19 and in verse six, he says, I find no crime in him. But notice what happened. And I want you to notice there was a woke culture that was alive at this time (laughs) right here because they said they pressured this politician to kill the very son of God, an innocent man whom he had said on more than one occasion, I don't find any crime in him. I find no crime in him. Then why did you let this happen? Why did you let this happen? You know, the all-star baseball game has now been moved out of Georgia uh, because they disagree with a law, yeah. which actually is a better law uh, f- as far as allowing voting rights and everything than the president's own home state. And it's better than it was before. But uh, they they have lied about this bill, that it, that it contains things that it doesn't contain. And so they've got they got Major League Baseball to to fall. Now they're not the only ones. You look around. This cancel culture is doing this all the way. Around. Who do you think's behind that? The very individual that was behind all of this right here. It's the devil working here. And if we don't wake up and understand and see and and take a stand for the truth, uh, truth. I, I'm like you. 
Truth has been slaughtered in the streets of our country. Another thing, too, as we move into chapter 19 that you can see, and you see this brought up in verse 11, when Pilate was talking to, to the Lord, and the Lord said, you could have no power at all against me, lest it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Now, when I first read that, I thought, what's he really saying about Pilate? Then it hit me. Pilate was being used there. The Jewish leaders who hated Christ and uh, brought him to them, and eventually the Romans will crucify. You see, they had the agenda. They, they hated Christ. They hated his popularity. They were jealous of him. But they had to use a civil servant to accomplish their end. Yeah. Now, I want you to think about that for just a minute. A lot of these people today, and, and I'm, not, I'm not giving politicians off the hook at all. You want the job, then you should have the strength to do the job. But uh, they're, they're being, in, in a sense, utilized and manipulated by the power of the electorates around them. They're being told, well, you won't get elected if you don't follow our agenda. And some of them, if you really push them, they don't agree with some of the things that they're being asked to stand up for. But like Pilate, like Pilate, they fear the crowds. In in their case, that Pilate feared a riot that would bring undue attention from the Romans. But in the case of our present day politicians, they have feared their electoral blocks yes. walking away from them. Yeah. You see. So you look at this and he said, The ones that orated this and brought it to you has the greater sin than you do, Pilate. Well, somewhere out there, there there you've got people that are orchestrating all this craziness that we're seeing in this country right now. And I think one of the main reasons that they do what they do is they have no love for the, the authority of heaven. That, that verse 11 would just tear their teeth out. You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Well, no, no government came from men. No government came from God. Yep. The powers that be are ordained by the Lord. Go read yep. uh, Romans 13. 1. Right. But they don't want to accept that, you see. And go read uh, Psalm uh, 2 as well, because yeah, yeah. Uh, the power of everything. He said, uh, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Uh, and that is, unless the sun be angry and you perish in the, in the way. That, that, has, uh, that has taken many, many a nation down, and it will ours if we, if we don't turn. Uh, we are out of time. Let me say this in closing. When we look at chapter 19 and we look at verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the spirit. At that moment, the Jews, at that moment, the devil, at that moment, everything that stood against truth thought that they had won. How far from the truth that that really was. It was just only the beginning of the kingdom being established, the church coming, the word spreading, and and uh, those same leaders that had him crucified would eventually say that his disciples had absolutely turned the world upside down. We can turn the tide on all of this. It is not finished for us. It, it was finished for the Lord. He has set the stage for us to do what we have to do in order to spread this word. And when we spread this word, we have accomplished so much, haven't we, Ray? Amen. We certainly have. Whew. 
you know, this 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 last night with the Lord is kind of a long thing. Isn't it? it is. It was a long night. <laughs> but you know, in re- in reality, it was a long night. It really was. And then the the great loss that everybody felt on Saturday, even the two guys on the road to Emmaus, you know, uh, they were at a loss, and and that just kind of encapsulizes what everybody was thinking. But then on that uh, Sunday morning, that first day of the week, when the power of God raised Jesus from the dead, then uh, truly glorification came. And Amen. it was everything that uh, everybody had to go through, that the Lord had to go through, that the apostles and the disciples had to go through. Uh, but I tell you what, it's worth it. It's worth it to to stand your ground, finish your course, fight your fight, stand for the truth, because our glorification waits for us. The Lord said there in chapter 14, if this were not true, I would have told you. If if I'm not going to build an eternal home for you, if if that had been a lie, I would have told you it's a lie. He's being truthful with us, but we had to stand our ground. Thank you so much for everybody being with us tonight. We we pray that the Lord has blessed you in this study. Uh, we didn't get to get to everything that we wanted to, but we never do. Uh, this book is just so full of everything. Have you got uh, one final comment you want to make, uh, Ray, and then I'll dismiss us? Well, I will say this. that there, We may have questions sometimes about what's going on with us, and it may draw our attention to others who seem to be getting by better than we are. And I remember at the very end of the book that Peter after he'd been told that he would be girded and carried to places he didn't want to go, he said, well, what about old John over there? What's going to happen to him? And I remember the Lord said, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Right. Follow me. Right. Follow me. Yeah. So I think this book ends with the fact that we've received enough information, all of us have, that no matter what is going on in our world, we need to follow Christ, no matter what. Yep. And that, that's the message. Amen. 